Lafondra looking to get cold side of Font. Lafondra away from Davis. 3 1 running. Three points running. Hello, hello, hello. You know what time it is. It's Elm Park Royals preview podcast time with me, Jacob Southcline. And he's back again. He's your favourite. He's everyone's favourite. <laughs> from, from mums to dads to former players to current players, it's the Reading Chronicles, James Earnshaw. Hello, James. You're right, Jake. How are you? I'm all right. When I messaged you this morning, um, the word on the grapevine was that quote, you were feeling quite tender after mm. your uh, exploits on the town last night. You, you can't wanna, dob you me in. Let us know what's going on there. You or? can't dob me in and then not yourself. Oh, no, I think the people <laughs> I want to know how much of a party animal <laughs> you are. I mean, I'm I'm boring. I You know, two pints and I'm gone. So, but, no, but, I only went to the so, local to watch the football. I mean, what a what an evening of what European football game. it was as well. Seven goal thriller. Not quite a an eight goal thriller between Reading and Swansea levels of mm. of goal magnitudes. But um yeah, fantastic. We are recording this slightly earlier this week. Um, because exciting news in Elm Park Royals land. Um, our very own Paul Mann is off to Bearwood tomorrow to interview uh, Mr. Reading himself, Tom McIntyre. So this is a slightly earlier preview podcast this week for the West Brom game. If you guys at home have any questions for Paul, or rather for Paul to put to McIntyre, because no one really cares what what, what Paul does. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, um, we, we love you, Paul, really, but um, we're, we're only here for McIntyre. So if you have any questions for McIntyre, let us know. Tweet us at Elm Park Royals, and we'll pose your questions to the man himself, uh, goal scorer extraordinaire, Tom McIntyre. He's a handy centre-back as well. And, uh, and left back, can play anywhere. Um, all that aside, it's time to talk West Brom. Uh, the end of the season is drawing near. The end is upon us. We've only got two games left of what has been a pretty calamitous mm. campaign. But as calamitous as it has been, the big headline is, as a result of our thrilling 3-0 defeat to Hull last weekend, we're staying up, James. Yeah, yeah, got ourselves over the line. Or rather, Peter and Barnsley couldn't get themselves over the line, so we just kind of hovered around it. But no, it's you know, it was important. You know, there's nothing else really to say other than it's a good job we did, but you know, we hardly did it in scintillating style, did we? Oh, it's the most reading thing in the world to confirm survival after losing three nil to a team that is almost as bad as you. And hmm. um, we were saying on the preview last week with Jonathan Lowe how it's two teams that you know, Reading did have something to play for going into the game, and that was championship survival, even though it looked like it was odds on before that game. But we make this habit nowadays of rolling over in these games which aren't classics on paper, and the players just don't seem up for seem up for it. And uh what do you reckon the problem was? Was it a case of too many Easter eggs? Were the players already on the beach? Were Hull really that better than us? Talk us through it, James. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know, but we were second best throughout the whole whole game. And um yeah, I mean Int said after the game he did, couldn't, you know, couldn't care less about the result because we stayed up. So maybe I don't know, maybe he was literally just focusing on, on the Peterborough game on the sideline and saying, Look, you lads, you know, whatever we do, we were all right. And they just they took their foot off. But they, they weren't at it at all. Um it was disappointing after the weekend they just had. You know, you'd think they'd go in flying with confidence and you know, I, I, I disagree with Ince on that because, you know, a lot of people have made a lot of effort to get up to Hull. It's not an easy, it's not a fun place to get to and to sort of write it off. It's like when Poundovic said we could write off the whole of January. I mean, you can't write off a whole month. I don't think you should write off a game before you even play it. Um, otherwise, what's the point in everybody else travelling up? 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I was disappointed in the sort of the performance because I think you know if we if you lose, fair enough, but I don't think we went out with any sort of real you know to go and win. I don't think it, it didn't give it didn't give off that impression. It's always dangerous territory when a manager comes out and says, "Well, I wasn't bothered about winning." Mm. I mean, I know the headline for instance was, "Yes, you know, he's done what he was brought in to do and kept Reading in the championship for another season." Obviously, going to be a hard year next year, but you know, for him to come out swinging and say, "Oh, it doesn't matter," you know, what are you complaining for? It's like, well, like you say, people have paid good money, mm. got up at the crack of dawn, trekked all the way up to deep dark hull by the way big thing for me coming out of that game that one thing i i learned from the preview last week um since when was is the whole stadium the mkm yeah i know stand for? i know i still call it the kc and it's been another oh, yeah. one in between that one it's been the K-Con. really God. of course it was the cake i mean yeah. this is the mkm is it like man crush monday with a k <laughs> the man crush monday stadium uh, all <laughs> no, that nice aside stadium, it's, oh it's not too bad as it? it's kind of no. similar Two hours in that, you know. I mean, it's the epitome of bowl. I mean, it's the most yeah. bowl of bowl stadiums. But add it to the list of add, add it to the list of bowl stadiums, along with the the former Medeski and also Brighton's. The, the Amex is, a, is yeah. just and MK Dons. A, a Tupperware bowl. MK Dons as well. Yeah. Uh, answers on a postcard for any others that we've missed, guys. Um, <laughs> all that aside, because I think you and me both, we tried to block out the whole game pretty quickly. Mm it did kind of sharpen our minds on next season and and remind us that it is going to be a hell of a task next year to keep us in the division, um, especially with our limited resources at our disposal when it comes to the playing staff because um, we were trying to mock up lineups for next season now that we've got two dead rubbers, mm. one of which is the West Brom game, which we are going to talk about in a second, I promise. <laughs> but I think the I, I worked out that the only way we can at the moment field a legal lineup for next season and I use the word legal very lightly because I think it involves putting three goalkeepers in. Uh, I think we've got um, Southwood in net with auxiliary goalkeepers of um, of Kaniah Boyce-Clark and uh, Axel, uh, not Axel Anderson. Uh, is it Axel? Yoko, Yoko Anderson. Yeah, Yoko, Axel yeah. was his brother that was yeah. briefly with us, wasn't he? Yeah, that's So um, we need players, don't we? Yeah, I mean, talk about, you know, a hard task staying up. It's a hard task to just fill the game at this point. Um, You'd like to think they'd be able to sign on a few of the kids that aren't on much, but even then, you can't go into a, into a season, you know, that we're going to have and just field kids. Um, I mean, I guess the one good thing is there seems to be hundreds of free agents coming out of championship clubs this season. That there should be a load. Of, if you're looking in the right places, there should be loads of steals you can pick up. It's just whether we look hard enough to find them or whether a certain Mister Agent's already got his eye on a few players that want to come in. Mm. Well, indeed, plenty of whispering on the Swiss sphere this week about mm. um, um, a certain Mr. Drabchin that uh, is already seems to be um, causing a scene behind the scenes yeah. at Reading and um, might contribute to a bit of a turnover in the in the scouting department. But we just have to see. Um, it's uh, going to be interesting now that we are mathematically safe. What happens with contract renewals? Um, you know what we do on a shoestring. All that to come, and and also aside from the players. Is still the question marks around the manager, who for the time being is Paul Ince. But I'm actually going to throw a curveball this week, James, because I swear to God, every week I talk about Paul Ince and whether he should be here or not. Um, the rumour mill has churned out another name for us uh, by the name of Carlos Carvajal. Um, it's another mm. Portuguese manager, lads. Is it maybe not a case of, of Jose Gomez 2.0, but whisperings that he might be in the frame 
for the Reading job if if the stars align. What do we think of Carvajal? Because obviously he's had he's had stints in the Championship with two clubs, Swansea and Sheffield Wednesday. Two playoff finals in his two full seasons, or two playoff mm. campaigns in it. Did he get to the final with both teams? I can't in one remember. of them. One of yeah. them they lost to Hull. I can't remember. Uh, the other one they lost to Huddersfield, didn't they? In the other Who game lose to, to us. Hull, eh? Um, Who loses Huddersfield? But, uh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. God, we're, we're ripping open plenty of old wounds yeah. on the old podcast this week. Um, so, do you rate Carvajal? Would you like to see him get the job? Yeah, I think I'd like to see him get the job. I can't see him getting the job because I can't imagine he'd. A, I don't think he'd want to come into the fire that we're going to be next season. Uh, I don't know what his wages are at Braga, being a Europa League team, but probably more than what we would offer. Um, but to be honest, I don't care who it is. All we need is we just need to get someone, give them a couple of years or a year, and just say, you know, this is what we've got, and just get behind them because whoever comes in is going to have to pull off miracles next season. Mm. Um, so whoever it is, you, you know, we just need to get behind and sort of, you know, see it out because there's no point chopping and changing. I don't think we've done that too much. It doesn't work. Absolutely. There's um, there's an argument. To be, I mean, I've been banging the drum for this magical thing called stability for years now. Mm. Years. I mean, even going back to our previous Portuguese manager, Jose Gomez, I was like, you know, yes, he's not perfect, but give him time. And, you know, we don't have a lot of that at the moment. But just before we move on from, you know, this wishful thinking, I suppose, about Carlos Carvajal, I want to draw your attention to a little quote. Um, from an, it was an inter- I think it was an interview that The Independent did with Carlos Carvajal where he's talking about his tactics and his philosophies and all that. And uh, to to quote him directly, he says, we don't prepare a team to play with a system or a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2. We prepare a team to play with various principles of the game. It's provoked debate in Portugal. It is hard to describe. So maybe he's the perfect man to lead a team of, of including three goalkeepers. <laughs> because if he's not believing in formations and, you know, conventional football, maybe he is the perfect man to... Um, maybe to he might turn them into 20-goal-a-season strikers. Indeed. We need that sort of transformative magic in our GT. Starting <laughs> this weekend at home in our final home game to West Bromwich Albion, who it's fair to say have had a pretty tumultuous time of it in the time that we've played them last because back in December they were sitting pretty third in the table looked like they were going to be in the conversation for automatic promotion fast forward a few months they've slipped to mid mid table mediocrity Steve Bruce is their manager now because they binned off Valerian Ismail uh, nicked Andy Carroll of course mm. from us the bastards and um, it's all just gone to pot for them hasn't it? Yeah no they've dropped right off and it's been Disappointing. I, I fully expected them to be up there with the squad they've got. A lot of experienced players um, picked some of the best players from last season and put them into their team. So, you know, I don't quite... It's, it's very strangely linked with uh, the minute goal they walked in the door. They very quickly mm. seem to drop off, which I'm not sure if it's a coincidence or not. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, they'll, they'll go at it again next season. Um, Bruce seems to have lost a bit of his magic, whether they stick or twist. Time will tell, but yeah, they'll be up there in the end. Yeah, I'd be interested to pick the brains of the uh, West Bromwich Albion fan that we've 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 got on after the break, just to see what's going on with Bruce there, because he departed Newcastle in pretty ignominious fashion. Um, his his record there was pretty poor, all things considered. But Newcastle at the time were a circus themselves, and mm. and ever since Gawley and his mate Steve Bruce have walked in the door, it's just not gone to plan. And it sounds like Bruce is going to be there 
next season and will want to instigate a turnaround. Hopefully that turnaround doesn't start against us on the weekend. Um, in the reverse fixture, it was 1-0 and uh, Robinson scored, didn't he, to, um, to win that. And the assist mm. from Grant, who started at the weekend in a 0-0 draw to, to Coventry at home. And uh, Grant missed a penalty. So, Grant aside, any other men we should be not worried about in Grant's case or worried about in the case of, presumably, Andy Carroll? Well, yeah, I was going to say Carroll's the main one. He's bound to score, obviously. Hope he gets a good reception because I thought he gave 100% every game when he was at Reading. Um, and he scored two of the best goal, non-goals, I think I've ever seen uh, in that game against Fulham. Um, Alex Mower always sticks out for me, um, former Barnsley. He doesn't seem to have sort of... Well, he, he did not carried his form over from Barnsley last season, but that was such a fluky season that maybe it wasn't to be expected. Um, but no, they've just got solid sort of championship pros all over the pitch, um, which is why I didn't expect them to drop off sort of as, as quickly as they did, because I thought they'd sort of haul themselves up with an experienced manager and experienced players. Um, but I guess you know it doesn't always work out that way in the championship. No, it's a case of all the gear, no idea, isn't it? Um, mm. It's interesting. I'm looking at uh, who came off their bench for them against Coventry and uh, forgotten man, as far as I'm concerned, Grady Dean Garner. Do you remember the hype around Dean Garner? How he, he was meant to be this... Well, I remember how gutted West Ham were to lose mm. him until he went to another team with West in the name, being West Brom. And um, yeah. he well, Wasn't he there? That. He did really well the year they went up last That's time. right. Yeah, they and they up. they wanted to retain retain him and they and they mm. did. And West Ham were a bit gutted that he, you know, he didn't stick around in, Lo- in London. But um, yeah, all that promise not really fulfilled this season. We'll be hoping for a better campaign next season. I suppose the only thing left to do then is to predict the score. And it's going to be a rubbish game. Mm. You said it before we hit record. It's not going to be a classic because neither team has anything to play for. Um, West Brom are going to be on a bit of a downer because patchy form. I think they've lost three in their last six. Obviously, we... Our thoughts are entirely on next season now, and it's the sort of yeah. time of the season that we would ordinarily play the kids, use the academy, but we've been doing that already this season. So it's going to be business as usual. And do you think we can grind out a result? I think it'll be one nil either way. Um, just have horrible images of a 90-minute winner for Andy Carroll. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there's a few youngsters that we haven't seen much of. I mean, Rashawn Scott and Kelvin, um, we haven't seen. Much of the Heber Choman. Wasn't even gonna try. Um <laughs> God knows what's happened to Jamari Clark, but obviously isn't very well thought of by Paul Lintz because he's not been anywhere near the team after impressing. Um so there's, there's a few that they could play. Um but no, yeah, I'm going one one nil either way, sit on the fence. I hate it when I agree with you, but I'm <laughs> gonna agree with you because it, it's it's gonna be a one nil game. We've already yeah. had one one nil against West Brom this season. I think mm. this is going to be the second. And I'm actually going to break my streak of positivity on the Empire Royals podcast. Usually, I will predict a win or a draw, and it's come off for me a couple of times. But I can't, I can't see it this weekend. I think um, no. it's the sort of game that West West Brom win. Uh, I'm going to go one nil to the Baggies as well. As much as it pains me and hurts <laughs> me, uh, I'd really like to be proven wrong. And uh, like you say, we've seen firsthand in Reading, just how 
wonderful and inspired Andy Carroll can be on his day. Mm. It's a funny one, Andy Carroll. If you are him, do you regret going to West Brom? Do you? Because on paper, it was going to be a step up from Reading. Mm. Bigger club, arguably, with a better prospect of, of getting promoted. And it's not panned out that way, has it? Do you, do you reckon he regrets the move? I don't know. He might do, because, I mean, he'd be a cult hero if he stayed here and bagged a few important goals. Um, he's very well liked at West Brom as well, by all accounts, I've seen in social media. Um, I mean, let's face it, he's probably earning a fair bit more at West Brom than he was at us. So from sort of a future planning point of view, it's probably still a good move. Um, but yeah, you know, if he'd, have, if he'd have been here, you know, till the end of the season, he could easily have, you know, made sort of been Yakubu level of cults uh, mm. with Reading fans, which <laughs> When you come in on a short-term deal and you're 30 or whatever, that, that's all you can really ask for. So maybe, but I don't think he's he's at the age now where I don't think he minds too much, to be honest. Yeah, Yakubi's legacy is already secured in in Reading. Ever since mm. I promised to name my firstborn son Ayagbeni after he scored a <laughs> derby in the, in the FA Cup. <laughs> So <laughs> I remember that day I had th- literally no exaggeration, hundreds upon hundreds of um, people from Nigeria telling me that it was a beautiful name um, <laughs> from the Edu tribe, which means the world supports you or something. And um, uh, and like loads of these mentions saying, I promise is a debt. You need to follow through. So um, I'll keep you posted, um, all those people at home and James, on um, how the, the naming process goes for my as yet non-existent firstborn. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just just before we go, we've got, to, or just before we let go of you, rather, James, we've got another guest on the way. But um, yeah. just wanted to quickly shout out your fantastically put together article on the Reading Chronicle this week. Um, you interviewed 10 legends of the title winning team a decade ago um, for their thoughts and memories um, around going up in 2012. I just wanted to ask you, who was your favourite? to get a quote from because there were some uh, names there where I was very jealous that that you got a chance to speak to him. Yeah, Alex Pierce was lovely. Um, as you kind of expect, because he always put across that personality. Um, to be fair, I can say they were all lovely. I, th- I think I, I I miffed Kaspar's gawks a little bit accidentally because <laughs> I may or may not have got the time difference the wrong way around. Um, oh, really? So instead of calling two hours early, I called two hours late um, his time. <laughs> So I don't think he was as thrilled as he would have been had I called on time. Um, Brian McDermott was very surreal because um, I rang him yeah. and then he missed. I think No, I said I was going to ring him at some point and he rang me and I thought, hang on, I've got McDermott's name coming up on my phone, which I didn't expect to get. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jem was nice. Uh, Ledget Wood um, was obviously arranged through the club. Um, it's just fun trying to you know track mm. them all down. I couldn't get all of them. I was gutted I couldn't get Joby. I tried my hardest, but couldn't come off. And Jason Roberts, I chased a fair few times, and we just couldn't figure out because he was flying here, there, and everywhere. We just couldn't pick a date and a time, um, you know. But I can always get him on standalone sort of other interviews over the summer or whatever. But no, it's really fun to put together. To be fair, um, yeah, you, you did well to get ten of them together on the same page because you know there's always going to be regrets about how you don't get. And one you didn't get, by the way, is being in the headlines again this week. Joby Mackinac, for all the right reasons, mm. he hasn't done anything terrible. In fact, he's uh, he's won the Sir Tom Finney Award at the EFL Awards Night that got held this week. For it's, as far as I can tell, it's just an award for being a bloody decent bloke. 
which is mm. what Joby is. <laughs> yeah. um, I think we'd all like to win one of those awards at some point. But congratulations, <laughs> Joby. I, I, I hear from you, James, that he's on some sort of EFL podcast this week. Is that right? A rival yeah. podcast. Yeah, he's on the um, official EFL podcast, I believe, uh, with, with Reading manager Paul Lint. Um, oh, there you go. So I imagine that'll be quite an interesting listen, to be fair. I'd like to think it's mainly Reading dominated. So uh, <laughs> I'll probably give it a listen um, ahead of going to see Paul tomorrow. Um, but no, yeah, fair play, Joby. Lovely guy. Uh, and obviously all the stuff he did with Leighton Orient, stepping up when Justin Edinburgh died. Sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, fully, fully deserved. It's uh, something you should definitely go and listen to, but only after you finish listening to this here podcast that you're wrapping <laughs> your ears around right now. Because after the break, we've got an interview with a particularly esteemed West Bromwich Albion fan who I can't wait to speak to just to see what's gone wrong this season for them and uh, all that's left to do then James is to thank you for your service go and make yourself a cup of tea or coffee or something harder but I suspect you won't be because you were on the lash last night so (laughs) but um, thanks so much for coming on no thanks for having me and we'll see you next time and uh, join us after break we're chatting West Brom with an actual West Brom fan hello welcome back after the break I hope you had some fun during the break like went outside, walked the dog, put on the kettle, all that good stuff. Uh, if you made it this far into the podcast, uh, we're now joined by Chris Lapkowski uh, from the Liquidator podcast, who not only is he a West Brom fan, he's also author, journalist, a journalism lecturer. Uh, he's done it all, and he's here to talk about what on earth happened to West Brom since we last played you. It's, it's not gone entirely according to plan, has it, Chris? That was a really kind introduction. The one thing you haven't mentioned is that I'm not a forensic examiner. Um, <laughs> I'm unable to, to give you the answers about West Brom season, but I'll do, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. And, I mean, where to start, really? I, I, I guess if I was to get really, uh, to use that horrible phrase, deep dive into what's gone wrong at West Brom, uh, the dive would take me back to 2013 when... West Brom and Manchester United played an absolutely extraordinary game of football that ended 5 all. Mm. Um, as Alex Ferguson might have said, football, bloody hell. And it, that was the, the last game Fergie actually managed. And since then, both clubs, I think it's fair to say, although I am speaking on behalf of United fans, both clubs have made a complete horlix of pretty much everything since. Of course, Manchester United making mistakes means they simply drop out of the top four. When a club like West Brom make mistakes, it means they drop out of the top flight altogether. And we are spiralling towards our worst finish in the, well, in in any league since uh, since 2000. And it's wow. been it, it's been one thing after another. And before we came on air, you, you mentioned a few names that made me wince and 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 it, it's been it's just been one big decay drift decline all the d's whatever you want to call it with too many l's too many defeats in that and losses and it's we are where we are and you know i have to be honest when i was asked to come onto this podcast i thought a west brom really still playing more games because it feels <laughs> like that, it feels like our season ended about four, three or four months ago even though our playoff charge only really ended mathematically in the last fortnight. Yeah, spiralling, like you say, is probably the word 
because just looking down the fixture list at all those L's you mentioned, and we are, by the way, going to rip open those wounds with the, the names that you don't want me to mention as well later on. But but the the form has just taken a tumble. Like just looking to see, seeing where you were early in the season when you played as and you were third. And in the automatic promotion conversation after twenty two games, it's it's not it's it doesn't make for pretty reading since. And obviously, there's been a change of manager because you've you've disposed with the um, ill fated um, Valerian Ishmael, and you appointed from Barnsley, um, who brought a couple of his own men with him from Barnsley. Let us not forget talented player like Alex Mowat. And um, and his replacement, Steve Bruce, it's fair to say, has not set the world alight, has he? No. And, I mean, it's symbolic, really, of Albion's decline that in, I think, over the last five years, they've changed managers in four of the seasons during the season, which is a really bad thing to do, especially when you lurch from one manager to another. So we had Billich and then we went to Allardyce. And now we, mm. we had Valerian Ismail, who promised this tub-thumping, um, pressing football that looked the business in the opening three or four games. And, and everyone looked in tune with it. And then something just fell away. And, and you can almost pinpoint it to a game in um, in... August, in, at the end of August, only a few games into the season, where West Brom played Peterborough United and, and claimed a very late win. And Ismail reacted a, a little bit like a World Cup winning manager might. Mm. Final whistle was blown. And it was all a little bit unseemly. And Darren Ferguson got extremely upset. And the, the key reason I mentioned that game is because it felt like Peterborough had actually sussed Albion out and I think a few teams Millwall certainly were one of them who looked at that result and looked at that performance and realised that if you play a certain way against West Brom you're going to stop them from playing and Ismail um, he he was just the most predictable manager I I think I've ever seen in football they played the same way three, four, three the same Mm. substitutions between 58 and 64 minutes and it was like for like. So if Robinson played, he would go off and uh, and uh, let's say Dean Garner would come off. If Dean Garner played, he would go off and Carlin Grant would come on. And it was like for like. And it was just desperate. That intensity that we thought we'd get under Ismail dissipated very quickly. And by the time we played Reading in December, December the 11th, and, and, you know, the form was such around then that I don't remember that game, but I do know we were third. We were looking for promotion. But equally, there was a feeling that this guy, Ismail, is way, way out of his depth. Mm. The players he's got uh, are drifting. They're not particularly invested in him. They're not particularly invested in the club, if truth be told. And, you know, you might have thought at that point that Reading had lost to a a team that would be back in the Premier League within six months. But I think deep down, many Albion fans, myself included, realised that the Ismail experiment was going badly wrong and would soon unravel, as indeed it did. It's fascinating for you to say that the writing was on the wall so early in the season, you know, even as far down the line as December, you're saying that 
it just was apparent that it was not going to work. And and obviously, not only was it a disaster for you guys, West Brom, it was also a disaster for Barnsley because since you you nicked Ismail, it also consigned them to a a long death because obviously they've mm-hmm. gone down at our expense this year. So yeah, gosh, it's. It, we we mentioned earlier James Earnshaw from the Reading Chronicle and I that when we look at the West Brom team sheet, it's a case of, to me at least, all the gear and no idea because you know you have players whose names jump out at you, is thinking right that's actual Championship quality or better, you know the likes of Jake Livermore, um, Ajayi who was impressing last time that he was in the Premier League. Obviously, one that we'll go on to talk about in a second is Andy Carroll who you you pinched from as. Uh, early in the season, had a very brief spell in RGT. And uh, the very talented Grady Dean Garner as well. So, you know, you, you look on paper and you think, hang on a minute, that's a team. Button in goal as well. And is it is it simply a case that they're, they're not gelling or they're, like you say, they're not bothered? Um, is there a bit of arrogance? Like, if, if you're going to put your doctor's hat on and try and diagnose it, Chris, what's the, the biggest problem? Or indeed, is the biggest problem higher up the food chain with the chief exec? Um, well, I know where you've mentioned the chief exec, and I'm, I'm sure we'll come back on to him. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned Button. Well, actually, Button's only just come into the team because Johnston... Oh, really? And, and he was the, mm. you know, England's second-choice goalkeeper at the start of the season, now probably fourth behind Ramsdale, Pope and mm. Pickford. Um, the, the, the drift, as I call it, starts with the players. Um, we've got, and I'm, I'm not calling out Jake Livermore here because I've got anything against him, but he's a guy who played for Tony Pulis eight managers ago. And that was only, um, when did Pulis go? 2017. Hmm. So that's only five years ago, four years ago. Um, Carl Bartley, another one who played for, has played for quite a few managers. There are players in that team who have, who've been at the club for too long. The club have been rewarding these players with long-term contracts. I mean, Darnell Furlong, who was a fairly average signing from QPR, wasn't first choice in the Billich, wasn't first choice in the Allardyce. We get to the start of this season and he's given a four-year contract. Why? You know, so there is some really poor decision-making at the very top around a set of players who, and and I use these words extremely cautiously, but if you listen to the phone-ins in the West Midlands, Mm. ABC phone-ins, there are fans who really do call this the most dislikable team they've ever seen. Mm. And I would certainly go as far as saying that for the last two decades, West Brom have punched in the top 24 of English football. That's the lowest they finished was fourth. Um, a few years ago under, um, well, during Darren Moore's season, although he was sacked during that campaign. Now they're going to finish in mid-table in the Championship. And these players have been at the club for too long in many instances. There's been no direction at top. They had the, the dreadful Luke Dowling as technical director who saddled the club with some awful players. He did bring in some decent players as well, but he, he fairly clearly wasn't working with Slaven Bilic at a crucial time in the point in the club's um, uh, movement into the Premier League. Bilic left a team that wasn't particularly lasting 90 minutes, a, a criticism that was common to West Ham fans before that. And 
we look back on that Billick's year when, when we won promotion, it's actually quite a nice season because it wasn't a promotion that was largely celebrated due to COVID, but it was the exception to the norm. And, and like mm. I mentioned, that 10-year period, the club has just been going further, further, further into the abyss. We bring, which brings me on to the chief executive, the guy that, yes. that you're going to know from your time. Oh, Red. Reading fans are more than familiar with the uh, the pantomime villain that is Ron Gawley. But please, like, go on because it's just I can imagine it's going to be a litany of woes, isn't it? Well, actually, I mean, Ron Gawley came in as a as a consultant during the summer, and it's fair to say that um, there were people above him. Chief executive called Juki, who <laughs> known locally as Ken, who was woefully out of his depth as chief executive. We had a chairman, Lee Poo, who who was non-existent. You wouldn't know him if you he walked into the room. We had an owner, supposed owner called Gu Chan Lai, who's in whose actual investment into the various groups who own West Brom seems to actually be declining, but he's still classed as the owner. And then we had this lack of footballing nous following the departure of Luke Dowling, which wasn't necessarily a bad decision to remove Luke Dowling from his position. But what it was, it, it, it left a vacuum that nobody filled. So we had no football direction other than Valerian Ismail bringing in players during the summer, which left us with with no pace, with left less, left us with no energy, very one-dimensional sets of players that Ismail brought in, coupled with some players at the club who've been there for too long. You mentioned Dean Garner, who hasn't been yes. the same player for about three years since he got injured during his first loan spell. And Ron Gourlay was appointed as chief executive on the day Steve Bruce was appointed. So since then, all eyes have been on Gourlay. Now, what to, to his credit, and I understand that Reading fans will be listening to this and and, and punching the wall and, and crying, <laughs> but to his credit, he has made an attempt to heal some of the wounds that have been created by others. He's met supporters groups so far. He's said the right things. Let's wait and see what happens with the actions, of course. Um, and he's showing some hints towards steering the club back to a better place. Now, of course, West Brom fans, especially those mindful and, and critical of Gourlay, will be looking at the Reading um, fiasco and thinking, why have we appointed this man? I'm, I'm very much on the side of, well, yes, you know, worked at Man United, worked at Chelsea. There's something there. However very much tarnished by what happened at Reading. Let's wait and see. And I'm very much in that camp. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Was Steve Bruce the right man? Probably not. Is Steve Bruce the right man? Probably not still. <laughs> um, however, what I will say in Bruce's defence is that he has very, well, maybe not very quickly, but he has identified the problems within that dressing room. And he's starting to come down on the players a little bit behind the scenes. And I like that. I, I quite like the sound of that. I know there's there's a, a core of media journalists who are calling Bruce out and saying, you know, once again, he's getting it wrong. Maybe we'll get it wrong, but I quite like the fact that he's turning on a group of players who have been dominating that dressing room for way too long and need breaking up and, you know, it's going to be a big summer for Albion. Um, 
with all due respect to Reading and Barnsley, our final opponents, if all eyes are on the summer. We, we cannot yes. get reason out of the way quickly enough and I think the last game against Coventry was uh, was a, a systematic of that, it was just the most turgid drivel I've seen for a long time where neither club really, let, neither team really laid a glove on each other and it was just a desperate game and I'm sorry to say I'll be amazed if this weekend and this weekend's game against Albion and Reading and Albion's final game against Barnsley won't be dissimilar, I'll be a bit surprised We've predicted the exact same thing <laughs> earlier in the pod. We just we're all united in agreement that it's it's not going to be a classic. It's not going to be a classic, and we'll we'll get on to putting our cards on the table and predicting the scores in just a second. But for me, just to come in after all that really interesting stuff you, you, you've been going on about, just the state of Albion from top to bottom. I guess the interesting thing for me approaching as a running fan is. You know, hoping, I guess, for, for your sakes, that Ron Gawley has taken something away from his experience at Reading and learnt for the better. Because, like you say, it's one thing having the impressive CV of working in the Premier League at, you know, the biggest, some of the biggest clubs in the world in Man U and Chelsea. And then trying to maybe naively apply that to to his work at Reading with disastrous mm-hmm. consequences, handing out uh, inflated, very long-term contracts to playing staff who didn't fit system um what you were saying about the most dislikable West Brom team in in memory like that's, that's exactly what we ended up with under Gawley um mm. we had reading the best reading teams of the past have been denoted by likable characters and players who are reading through and through that would give anything for the cause we didn't have any of that latter day under under Gawley and let's hope that the Gawley experiment pays off for you where it didn't for us. And uh, Steve Bruce is committed for next season and hopefully he can instigate an upturn. And I, What you were saying about him laying into the players, by the way, he um, I saw a media report today saying that he's insisting that uh, West Brom players move closer to the training ground. He wants them no more than 60 minutes away from the training ground. So hopefully, you know, that that <laughs> <laughs> maybe that has some sort of tangible impact. You never know. Anyone who knows uh, the... Uh... Anyone who knows the motorway network and uh, junctions, the, the Aero junctions in that area of Warsaw where West Brom train will know that that pretty much means the West Brom players will have to live in a cul-de-sac around the corner. <laughs> because there, there is no quick way. I mean, it's quite ironic, actually, that Steve Bruce has been criticised because he still lives in Cheshire. Um, uh. and but, but actually, Steve Bruce had a property in Knoll, which is in South Solihull uh, of the Birmingham area. And I, I can say with some confidence that during rush hour, his journey down from Cheshire will be significantly quicker than it will be from Knoll because of the godforsaken M42 that you have to negotiate to, to leave the Solihull area. So I, I think Steve Bruce has made a really good point there. Um, I do agree with it. Um, I don't buy into this, this narrative that he should be setting an example. I think it's about mm-hmm. time. I think it's about time that a manager challenge this bunch of players and I, I cannot really hide my derision anymore for them um, other than get myself banned off your station for life with bad language um, hey wait every every week we have to put an explicit tag yeah. on our output on Spotify and Apple yeah. podcasts anyway so so by all means if you want to let off some steam Chris either now or in the future you're more than welcome to come on it's a safe space so <laughs> for any junior baggies or junior royals listening I'll, I'll I'll opt out, but it, it, 
you know, it cannot be underestimated that ordinarily you seek you seek a manager's head when things go badly. You, you call for the board to be sacked, the chairman, the owner to leave. And there has been that. There has been an element of that. But I cannot stress enough that this failing is very much on the players. Um, they've been there for too long in some instances. They've disin- they're not invested or committed to the club whatsoever. Bruce is right to call out however many of them live further away than they should. One or two, I think, have got personal circumstances why that arrangement needs to happen, but not all of them, um, just from the things I know. And I'm, I'm glad that somebody is willing to take them on. My, my, my own personal preference would have been for Sir Alex Ferguson to come out of retirement and challenge <laughs> this bunch of players. But in the absence of that, we'll go with one of his um, most seasoned defenders and hope that Steve Bruce can actually re-energise himself as a manager because he's had a few rough rides at Newcastle and Villa. Some of it his fault, um, some of it not, and, and some of it unfair. And I think he needs this as well um, to, mm. to maybe rediscover that sparkle that, that he had elsewhere, you know, 20 years ago at Birmingham and, and so forth after that. So it's a big call for Bruce. It's a big call for Albion to stick with Bruce and vice versa. But the really big call here is to get rid of this bunch of players. Well, I'll tell you what, if if there was a question or even a suggestion of Sir Alex Ferguson coming out of, of retirement, then mark my words, Reading would also be joining the back <laughs> of the queue for, for Sir Alex's services because Reading are also going to be in need of a manager if uh, Paul Ince, in fact, shuffles off after his interim gig. So um, hopefully, because it sounds like West Brom are entering kick-up-the-bum territory, hopefully for Reading's sake, the kick-up-the-bum doesn't kick in this weekend, I've predicted. I, I've I've gone for the Judas prediction and predicted a one 0 defeat to Reading, and I reckon you're going to edge a, no, a very non-thrilling contest. Uh, what do you think, Chris? Before you go, I, I, I think it'll be a one 0 to win win to Albion as well, and that's what I would have said had you not prompted that, <laughs> that remark. Um, I honestly think that Albion will have too much for Reading, but I, I, I just think it'll be very. Very much a, a game that you know we'll forget about very quickly. I might be wrong, but I, I see no reason to think otherwise. I would love to say, um, to those of you at home, I hope you have a wonderful time at the weekend watching maybe our second eight goal thriller in the space of as many weeks. But, um, <laughs> I suspect, um, you might be disappointed. But join us anyway after the game at the Select Car Leasing Stadium. Still not used to calling it that. Uh, join us after the game. Uh, Paul's going to be here with all the post-match reaction. Stay tuned to Elm Park Royals through the week because we've got um, an interview with Tom McIntyre, as we mentioned earlier. An interview with um, Tom McIntyre coming up on the on the site uh, this Friday morning. So stay tuned for that. And uh, thank you, Chris, for joining us again. It's been fantastic having you on and giving us an insight into all things West Brom. My, my pleasure, and uh, thank you for having me on. Take care, you lot at home. Only a couple of games to go. We're nearly there now. See you later.